Hello and welcome to a special episode of Three Sports Rankers. Rob Schofield here, as always, uh, but again, I'm pleased to say I'm welcomed, uh, I'm welcoming, I should say, two new rankers today, as we'll be doing a one-off pod on the Merseyside derby. And when we decided to do this topic, I knew there were only two men for the job, a job that due to current times, unfortunately, has to be carried out at a socially acceptable distance. Uh, from one isolation booth, uh, Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Neil, how are you doing? Very well indeed, Rob. How are you? Yes, good, thank you. Uh, and uh, from another, Dave Downey from the Blue Room podcast. Uh, Dave, whether you're whether you're watching this on Envision or just listening to the podcast, two very varying uh, lockdown hairstyles on show today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at least Neil's got options. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I might be verging slightly more towards the downy by this weekend. Uh, these sides are looking a little bit fluffy, but uh, either or, it's good to have you with us. Um, it, look, it's unbelievably unlikely that anyone listening to this is going to be is going to know what three sports rankings is all about and isn't going to know what you two do uh, on your platforms. But you've been kind enough to to offer your time, so the least I can do before we get started, is, is offer you both a little opportunity just to tell our listeners about about what you do with your platforms and kind of how things came about. So, um, Neil, maybe we'll start with you. Anfield Rap's been going for, for a fair old time now, but, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, maybe how it came about. A lot of people listen to this, maybe we will be, um, you know, picking us up. We've only been going for about 18 months or so. So what's it been like moving to where you are now, for instance? It's, I mean, it's been a long uh, process. It sort of starts, the first shows were back in, in 2011, in August of 2011, uh, an idea built from Andy Heaton and, and Gareth Roberts. And, and then from there, uh, we started to do the podcast. And we were lucky enough to meet Dave in 2013 when we were invited onto City Talk. And Dave had to produce us, uh, which was which must have been at times a nightmare for him, it's fair to say. Uh, and then from there, we... We rattled ourselves along, started to do live radio, which had a, a really important effect on a lot of what we do. Uh, me and me and John uh, at that stage really sort of got the hang of what we were trying to do on live radio. And then and then we, you know, from about 2015, we started to do what we do now, which is the the, the tour player sort of stuff, the subscription model. So we still do two three, two free shows a week and we've still got free video going out. You know, and all this remains the case through, uh, through our current uh, living conditions. And then, and from there, we do sort of an additional uh, 10, 12 shows um, for audio uh, and a few videos as well. So about five, six uh, subscription videos a week. And there's lots of writing on the website as well. So, you know, there's lots and lots of ways in which you can get your own field wrap bits and pieces, even as I say, under the current uh, situation. But we've also just been doing that for a, for a long time now. And it's, you know, it's a really, really fun thing to do. And in lots of senses, even though it didn't feel that way. The first week we went to a subscription model was the when Liverpool got defeated in the FA Cup semi-final by Aston Villa uh, at Wembley. Yeah, it didn't feel great, but it's obviously been terrific to sort of chart from, arguably from, sort of 12, 13, right the way through to now. As a Liverpool supporter, there's been a lot of highs and lows, um, All most of the vast majority of which have been on the pitch with the exception of a couple of attempted price rises and, and the current situation. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, we found ourselves, you know, we captured a good solid period of, of Liverpool history and hopefully done so in an interesting, different and exciting way. And that's, you know, it's been a real privilege to be able to do it. And, and, and it obviously continues now with, with everything that's going on. And, and hopefully it gets confirmed, you know, that we, we've been talking about 
the last couple of years, which has led to Liverpool's first title since 1990. Dave, knowing the kind of Everton fan you are, you'd give your arm and your leg for some highs and lows, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're pretty much littered with lows, so um, yeah, we could do with two guys. <laughs> that, that, that'd be a bit of an understatement, but our story is very much entwined with what a lot of Neil's just said there. So when, when Neil comes to City Talk with the Anfield Rap, I, I was the sport producer at Radio City Talk. And um, basically, we decided, me and, and Steve Hoddersall, who was the, the news and sport editor, editor at the time, decided we needed an Everton show for balance, an Everton fan show. So I reluctantly, and it was very reluctant at the time, took up the mantle because in my personal career as a journalist, and you'll know about this, Rob, your impartiality is, is very much a big thing. So I, I didn't really want to lean either way. Um, given I was what at the time, would have been 22, 23 years old. So I reluctantly did it, being the only Evertonian at the station, and basically just used Neil as a soundboard and all the other great guys, the Anfield rap, um, to sort of... It, it was great because I could always... He, he'd do the trial and error stuff with the Anfield rap, obviously on a much grander scale than what we were able to do. And then I was being able to take just sort of cherry-pick the best parts of what they were able to do and where they'd gone wrong, let's stay away from and things like that. So... Very much a massive inspiration to me, Neil, and the lads of the Anfield Rap. Um, and then we just went from strength to strength, really. We started in, in the opposite way to the Anfield Rap. We started as a radio show and then became a podcast with all the trimmings, the subscription service and things like that. We did all that around 2016. Um, and I've always found very much that, and, and Liverpool's fan base, obviously, it's, it's a lot larger than us. I don't think many Evertonians would disagree with that as much as they'd want to. Um, and I've always felt that our fortunes as a podcast have very much fell in line with what Everton have been like. So very much the hope that kills you. <laughs> well, I must say, before we get started, you two being very nice to each other for a, a podcast where you're about to go head to head on a very, very contentious topic. So leave the niceties at the door there, I think. Um, but if you've not listened to Three Sports Rankers before, which which many of you, if, if you're coming from the Anfield Rap or from Blue Room, potentially may not have done uh, this is how it works. Every week we have a topic. Uh, two of the three of us will put forward their top threes of that chosen topic and why they've chosen them. Bronze, silver and gold. Each bronze goes up against each other. Same for silver, same for gold. And the host uh, decides on the final ultimate podium, which I have the pleasure of doing today. Uh, but that also does mean that when this podcast goes live, I'll be switching my Twitter notifications <laughs> off. Uh, because I know how these things go. Uh, so, <laughs> points awarded, you guys should know, for each spot you win. Uh, one for bronze, two for silver, three for gold. So we'll have an ultimate podium and we may have a winner. But as is the case with anything to do with football, we may also have a draw. Uh, all that makes sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff, guys. Neil, we're going to start with you. Uh, your bronze pick for Merseyside Derby, in your eyes, the third best Merseyside Derby uh, of all time. I'm going to go, I was, I've was. i really been split between two. Uh, so I've really been split between the 85-86 FA Cup final. And I've given that real consideration because it's, it's, a, it's a good game between the two best teams in the country by a mile as well. The two best teams in the country by a mile at that stage. And it's one which, you know, you've got to you've got to respect what's got those teams to that point, you know, first and second in the league uh, at, the, at that, you know, uh, at that era, uh, Everton, the reigning champions, 84, 85, Liverpool with the league, 85, 86, 
Um, but I've decided to wear against that one because I think that whilst that that's a crowning glory for a, for a brilliant period of Merseyside football, I've instead uh, decided to go for something that's obviously a tiny little bit more needly uh, through the period. But again, that's of more of gra- greater and grander importance um, from a from a modern Liverpool point of view. And it's the uh, Easter Monday um, in two thousand and one, Everton two, Liverpool three, um, at Goodison Park. Uh, where Gerard Houllier manages Liverpool, Walter Smith manages Everton, and Liverpool have lost on Good Friday to Leeds United um, and look like it's going to be another season where they can't get a Champions League place. They've won the League Cup uh, during this campaign, but they're, all, they're, they're not necessarily in the greatest uh, the greatest shape. And it's a game that's crowned by... It tells the story of, of Everton through that era in that they absolutely scrap and fight for everything right the way through the game. It's a derby that's full of drama, absolutely full of drama. Heskey puts Liverpool into an early lead with an excellent finish. Uh, Ferguson gets one back and goes berserk just before half-time. Liverpool then go 2-1 up, uh, Marcus Babel. Uh, Robbie Fowler misses a penalty. Igor Bishkan gets sent off in this t- absolute tumult on Easter Monday at Goodison Park. The atmosphere is unreal all the way through the game. Uh, and then Everton find themselves in a situation where they get a penalty contentious to make it to all David Unsworth. And it really does look as though they're going to put probably a stake in Liverpool's whole season at this point. I mean, it really would be. I think Liverpool may well have not gone on and won the trophies if you don't win this game. Uh, so Liverpool are down to 10. Uh, and then Liverpool get a free kick sort of in the inside left-back area. And they float it into the box. Um, and Hippier makes a, elicits a great save from Paul Gerrard. Uh, and that's with about five to go when you think it's Liverpool's last chance. And then Liverpool get another free kick in a very similar area. Gary McAllister steals five yards, maybe even ten, uh, but he's still 44 yards out and he curls the ball through the crowd into the bottom corner to make it 3-2 Liverpool. And it it genuinely sets up Liverpool, I would argue, for the next... It, it sets up the rest of that season. It sets up the season to follow. You can make an argument that if Liverpool don't win the UEFA Cup in 2001, they don't go on and win in Istanbul in 2005. It just sort of sets up what is to come next from a Liverpool point of view. And there, are, there aren't many games you can say that about. It sets up the following month for Gary McAllister when everything he touches turns to gold, gets three assists in the UEFA Cup final and is part of the, and scores a penalty in amongst there. And obviously one of those assists is the golden goal that wins Liverpool the trophy. Uh, everything about it comes, stems from this moment. And there are very few football matches you can say that about. And that's why it's different to the cup final. And I've gone for it ahead of the cup final for this reason. Mm-hmm. Because a cup final is the end of something, whereas this is a spark, it's a catalyst towards so much more. Um, so that's why I've gone for this one as, you know, firstly, it's a great game in the way in which the cup final isn't quite, it's the first half is, is all Everton and the second half is all Liverpool. But this one is also, uh, it's a back and forth, it's, it shows where both sides were at that point. Neither side's perfect, they're a long way from perfect. Both sides are flawed. Both sides aren't, aren't quite what, what either sets of supporters want them to be. But from this point, Liverpool get to kick on. And I'd argue that Everton sort of don't. And now it's a period until David Moyes comes in uh, and, and, and does something with them. But I, I, I'm going for the, for the 2000, 2001, the Gary Mack derby, when he scores from <laughs> 44 yards to win the game for Liverpool. Dave's head just dropped as you described the long-range winner. It's interesting because we did a Manchester derby episode as well. And what struck me, and I kind of didn't realise it until we went through all six choices, is that a number of derbies actually provide sparks and tipping yeah. points and catalysts. Yeah. 
where one club might go one way and the other <laughs> will go a different way. And I find that fascinating, actually, the fact that maybe more of these are those catalyst moments more than pinnacle moments. Um, Dave, what are your memories of that game? You don't have you don't have to spend too long on this because I know you'll uh, you'll want to move on to your choice. No, it does it, it it lives in infamy this game simply because I was thirteen years old at the time uh, on the Gladys Street and my cousin who lived in Australia was over. He's a massive Evertonian. He emigrated to Australia five years earlier. So he was really excited about going to this game. I remember the abiding thing beforehand. It was a blistering hot day. Uh, on that Easter Monday, and I couldn't for the life of me work out why this game was allowed to go ahead on an Easter Monday, given the fact everybody was going to be tanked up with ale before the match. Um, and, and it played out that way. It was probably one of the most violent Merseyside derbies I've seen, um, to, to the point where it's renowned as the friendly derby. I think everybody outside of Liverpool would say that that is the sort of motto that goes along with Merseyside derbies, that we all sit amongst each other and we're all friends. And that may well have been the case once upon a time, but it, it, it certainly it, it felt like the story that broke the camel's back, this one for me, because there were some, some horrendous scenes around by me when that goal was scored, because there were a lot of Liverpool fans in the Gladys Street end. There were two older ones sitting behind me who ended up scrapping with a, with a couple of other people. But aside from that, what happened on the pitch was quite farcical, really, because Jeff Winter was the referee on that day, and he was appalling. It was such yeah. a poor performance from him. Yeah. Um, for, both, for both sides, I'm pretty sure you'd agree, Neil. 12 bookings and ascending yeah. off is... Yeah, he was he was terrible. And, and you know, poor old Jeff, he wasn't the fittest of referees, was he? He was sort of ambling around the pitch like most of our players that day, actually, because we still had uh, Mark Pembridge, I think, getting around the pitch for us. And a lot of players, it was sort of coming towards the end of the time with us. The, the, the thing that I take from that, the Callister goal, was the horrendous wall that we tried to set up. So if you if you watch it back and, and, and it sticks in my head so vividly, you have Nicholas Alexanderson and Kevin Campbell who form a two-man wall. And, and Neil's absolutely right. He's, he's at least 40 yards out here. And he doesn't strike the ball that well either. Alexanderson and, and Kevin Campbell are that disinterested in forming a wall. They actually just sort of start to amble away from each other. So there's a massive gap between them. And the pair of them are thinking, well, he's, he, can't, he can't possibly shoot here. And then when he does, Paul Gerrard, who's one of the worst goalkeepers we've ever had, shocking goalkeeper, um, still has ample time to get across. There's no one really blocking his vision. Oh, my word. I've just watched it back. That's not a wall. And if it is, it's got a gaping huge hole in it. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Um, And and then when that goes in, I think it was Liverpool's first Premier League winner, Goodison, as well. So when when you're talking about um, moments that happen that tend to inspire bigger and better things, that's exactly right, because... I think when Everton conceded a goal like that, and throughout the sort of mid to late nineties, it was always it always seemed to be Everton that would take the lead in these games, and Liverpool had scored a late equaliser. But this yeah. one felt to me like a, a hammer blow to the mentality that we had in, in Merseyside derbies. Because what Neil's talking about in terms of us being really um, physically imposing in games, and, and that's all we really had is that dogs of war to borrow Joe Rose cliche. Um, that's what this side was about under Walter Smith it was even worse we, we literally had to kick our way to three points uh, the opposition not the ball so in, in a match like this it, it very much comes to the fore and it was tended to be our only chance of winning but it, it felt like a good chance because Liverpool probably couldn't match us in that regard but in, in Julia I think Neil might well agree with this I think Liverpool found an inner steel that wasn't oh. there in previous years 
you look at the size of that Liverpool team, Honcho, Babel, Hippie, Carragher, uh, McAllister, Haman, uh, Heskey, Bishkan, and Bishkan gets himself sent off on the day. But they're all big, big lads who are more, men, than happy yes. to, more than happy to have a scrap with you, more than happy. And it's an Everton side where there's a couple of, you know, aging campaigners in there, Goff and Weir. You know, there's still, there's still, there's still the presence of Campbell and Ferguson in there. You know, these, these weren't shrinking violets, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it was one of the first times Julia turned up to Goodison Park and Julia ended up having a really good Merseyside derby record. And the, the attitude was, we will, we will win the battle. And that's one of the things you see on the day. And it's one of the reasons Beach can't get sent off. It will be we will win the battle on the referee. Dave's absolutely right, and the referee adds to it in the end to such an extent that when the penalty is given for Everton, Ferguson argues with the ref because he presumes the free kick's been given against him. That's yeah. how bad the ref's been all the way through the match. Ferguson immediately turns around and slaughters the referee. Uh, like you can't give that for backing in, and he's done it for Sammy Hippie holding. And Ferguson has this wonderful moment of going from slaughtering the referee to applauding his decision in one smooth yeah. move. Um, yeah. But the referee was absolutely terrible on the day. I don't even think Liverpool's penalties are penalties, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't have that great a recollection of it. The Babel goal's brilliant. All three of Liverpool's goals are belters, it's fair to say. you know, it's, And that's the other reason why it's in your mind. All three of them are great, great goals. But Liverpool had always had a problem, for instance, dealing with Ferguson. And he gets a goal that day, but Liverpool for the first time really deal with them quite well because they win the second balls around him a lot. Mm. And it did; it was a sea change in derbies because it's arguably the last time I would say the last derby Liverpool get. You know, I, I'm going through all the Liverpool managers since the last derby Liverpool. The last time Liverpool get muscled out of a derby is before this one. From this point onwards, there's not really a game, no matter who's manager, whether it's Julian Benitez, Dalglish, Rodgers, or Klopp. Um, there's only really the terrible performance under Hodgson. Um, and even that's not, that's not Liverpool getting that muscle by Everton that day. They just get outplayed by Everton that day. Come on then, Dave. It's enough doom and gloom on your part in the last five minutes or so. So come on, what's well, going I'm, up I'm, against uh, the Goodison 2001? I'm I'm a little bit worried, Rob, because if that's Niels Bronze effort, uh, I'm, I'm quite frightened about <laughs> what's to come later on in this show, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, because I haven't got that much ammunition, as you probably guessed. We haven't won one since 2010. But I'm going back to a year before the last time we won a derby, and uh, it was the infamous Dan Gosling 1 0 with us in park in a replay. So, you know what? It's even officially a draw, so you, you, can, rip me, you can rip me apart for that because we've won it in extra time. But uh, this was a culmination of a hat trick of Merseyside derbies in quick succession. Um, because we played Liverpool in the new year uh, at Anfield in the league in 08-09. The reason why there's a bit of needle to this is, and, and we love this as Evertonians, as Neil will know, because uh, he'll constantly get reminded about it on social media every day of his life. But um, we, we take pride in trying to cost Liverpool the title. And this was a huge point for us at Anfield. This is the game before the one I'm talking about, by the way. So we managed to get a draw uh, at Anfield. Tim Cahill scored a, a last minute, well, a couple of minutes ago. He popped up with a header to draw one all. I think Liverpool had a game in hand on Man United in the title race. And uh, it was the point where Rafa, I think his rant was around that period as well. So um, we sort of felt as if it was the time where we cost Liverpool the title. And um, obviously there were many other games to come, but it was certainly a, a, certainly a feather in our cap, we felt anyway. And then the week later we played in the FA Cup and both sides, I think it was a game that they could do without. Um we, we drew again, one all. Everton took the lead in it, thanks to a Jolien Lescott goal. And uh, we had a replay at Goodison. And you might well remember this, Rob, because it was on it was shown on ITV. 
And have, I was uh, going to say, have you had any Tic Tacs since? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, the culmination of the goal is quite aesthetical, I think, because you've got Andy van der Meijer, who was absolutely useless, uh, always bevied when he played for us, and, and that's being kind. Pops up on the right wing, launches this ridiculous cross into the back post, and there's Dan Gosling, who, who you might well remember, Rob, because he's oh, yeah. fast as well, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. He pops I was up always quite fond, and... quite fond of Gosling, and and that goal, he's kind of never really provided a moment like it since, has he? No, he was he was found out quite quickly because um, I think a year later he decided to leave Goodison despite being offered quite a lucrative contract, saying that Everton had decided they're never going to win anything. That that might well be true, but Dan Gosling hasn't gone on to do anything great either, has he? So uh, that's not a fire. <laughs> not like Newcastle is. really are, are they? <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to put too fine a point on that, but the the, the moment itself is glorious because he receives it um, sort of round the penalty spot to the left-hand side and somehow bamboozles three or four Liverpool defenders by simply changing direction, by cutting inside onto his stronger right foot. And somehow a lot of Liverpool defenders decide that he was always going to go down his left-hand side. So they all charge to the left. Gosling cuts in on his right takes this quite feeble attempt at goal. And at first viewing, it looks like a superb finish. Just sort of loops over Pepe Reina into the far corner. But it actually hits Martin Skirtle's toe. And then I think Raul Morelos' hand. And then it just glides into the top corner. I, I, I just remember almost blacking out when the goal went in because we don't have those moments against Liverpool. We It just doesn't happen. And for that to be one that did, and again, you go back to this theme of how it sparked the run. We got to the FA Cup final that year, and it was purely based on the momentum that we garnered from that match. But I just remember Rayner. There's a goal that Liverpool scored against Everton, and I think Neil might include in his in his top three. I'm not sure. But Steven Gerrard scores one that trickles in over Tim Howard's head that goes in almost in slow motion. And that's what was so good about this one. It was the, the sort of agony you could see on the face of the Liverpool players as they realise that it's looping over Pepe Reina and he can't do a thing about it. It's, so It's the slowest me, goal I mean, in football history, Dave. Yeah, I've never seen yeah, a slower I, goal. There's some sort of kind of tailwind just keeping it up in the air. <laughs> yeah. It, honestly, it looks like a beach ball that's just being float or a balloon that's just floating over the top. It takes an eternity to go in. Agony for both fans, of course, because you're like, is it going in if, if you're Nevertonian? The look on the likes of Jamie Carragher's face, a couple of the other players as well. Um, the game was also an, an influence one, Neil, wasn't it? Because was it Stephen Gerrard was substituted in it as well? No, Gerrard gets injured early. Injured. Gerrard goes off with yeah. an injury, and it's an injury that he really struggles with. Uh, and then Lever gets sent off uh, with about, uh, just as we get closer and closer to 90 minutes. And I reckon those Liverpool players... One of the reasons why they all get done by Dan Gosling is they're all shattered <laughs> by that point because it's so late in the game, isn't it? It's so, so late. For, for somebody as crap as Dan Gosling to be the one to put the thorn in Liverpool's side, I thought was really funny. And I thought it was a, it was a massive day, massive occasion for us to get to the, the next round of the FA Cup. Um, we battled some sides to get to the final that year. and Obviously, we were undone by Chelsea in the final. That, to me, has got to be my bronze game. I thought you were going to say that to me is the magic of the FA Cup. 
you played yourself down at, at the start there, but I'm already thinking I might have a decision to make there for bronze. But Neil, we'll go straight to silver then for you. Uh, what's pipping the, the 2001 Goodison game? I'm going to go for the game, which I think is, and I did some Googling around all of this, and I think it is just the best uh, game, certainly the best game in, in recent memory uh, between the two clubs. It's the 13-14 Goodison derby, which finishes 3 all. I think it's the last in terms of a game of football, genuinely, genuinely brilliant Merseyside derby, and it may well continue to be the last one for a while. I've, you know, I've, I've got yeah. some optimism around Ancelotti uh, in terms of the fact that I think he can get he can get a show on uh, from an Everton point of view. But there is a significant gulf between the two sides currently, and this was the last time there sort of wasn't. Um, just to put it in context, we're about twelve games into the season in thirteen fourteen. Uh, if Everton win the game, they go level on points with Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool get a point out of the game and they stay second. So this is this is a proper top six clash, and it had all the markings of a top six clash. And it's actually, I think, it's underrated in terms of the best Premier League games of the last decade. Uh, there's obviously more dramatic ones and ones that have greater significance on them. But what you really get is two teams that absolutely go at each other, hammer and tongs for ninety minutes, and that's what this game is. Uh, Liverpool uh, get and get themselves into an early lead through Phil Coutinho. They get pegged back by Kevin Morales really quickly. Uh, Suarez then scores on about the twentieth minute, and it get, we get to half time at two one. It's been a really pulsating encounter between two really really good good teams in this period, and I think that is the main thing to take away. There's great football at both ends of the pitch. Both have got flaws, and that's one of the things that make it. You feel like both can concede a goal, and there are six goals in a game, which suggests that's the case. Uh, second half, Liverpool start much the better. They come out with a better side. Joe Allen misses um, a really serviceable opportunity to make it 3-1. And that might have killed the game, to be honest with you. Then from there, Lukaku, who's playing for Everton at the time, who is and remains the last uh, great Everton number nine uh, and is arguably generally underrated, but underrated in terms of what he does for Everton, uh, gets the first of his two goals and then he gets another to put Everton 3-2 up and Goodison is absolutely rocking. I mean, it's absolutely on one because it just feels like a ma- it feels like a massive game to win. It's not even just about the derby. It's beating the sides who are currently sitting in second uh, to go uh, to go to go level on points with them. And and and, it, and the league felt so open that season because it was. Um so Everton Everton make it 3-2 and then, you know, with uh, with with time ticking away, Sturridge nods home. Uh, it's a really good back flick header from Sturridge to make it three three, and then there's still chance. There's still there's still a lot of activity at both ends of the pitch. You know, you do feel as though somebody there's a winner in it for someone a four three, but a four three would have been unbelievably harsh uh, to both sides on the day, to both managers on the day, and arguably to both sets of supporters on the day. I think it's the last pure Merseyside derby. This game is really underrated in terms of a real cracker of a of a Premier yeah. League. You don't get many games like this. You do no. not get many games like this now. You know you don't get many games like this between Rob between sides that find themselves. You know it's not it's not three games into the season. It's twelve games in. Um, so everyone's settled. Everyone's playing, and the tables taking shape. So these are two of the best five or six sides in the country, and both of them go on and prove that. And they absolutely go at each other because that's what brought them to the party. That's what they do. So they just do it on this on this Saturday morning, and it's 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 chaos. It's but it's also brilliant, and there's a lot of really good football played by both sides. Very different kind of derby to your bronze pick, and actually, interestingly enough, and there aren't many opportunities where this is the case. Dave, you've probably got some fond memories of this game. It was such a such a good occasion to be at as well, because like Neil said, the the, the thing that pleases Evertonians most, if you go to Goodison now on a typical home game, even under Carlo Ancelotti, but probably more so since the managers we've had between Martinez and now, it's a very angry place, Goodison. 
and it's something that Liverpool fans <laughs> like to like to throw at us all the time. We're a very angry fan base. We get it, it's really volatile. You always feel the best chance ever to have a win in games of Goodison is when there's been an injustice on the pitch and not when they've actually played well. So if there's a referee indecision gone against us, that's when the crowd tends to be at its best. This Neil quite rightly says was the most pure of Merseyside derby, certainly in, in my living memory, simply because you had you had two managers who were sort of young and naive, but just so hell-bent on expressing themselves. And I think that it was it was that sort of trail of thought that had both sides had such an impressive season. I mean, we should have finished fourth. Liverpool should Absolutely. have won the league. It, 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 had, it had everything that season. It's probably my most exciting season as an Evertonian because... It felt like the glass ceiling had just been shattered. Yeah, quite quite sad that this little flash pinch point of, of brilliant, two brilliant teams with two expressive managers couldn't continue for, for longer. Dave, what's your silver then? That, that's a personal favourite uh, Premier League game of mine. So this is, this is going to be a tough call for you. Go on. Yeah, I think um, Neil's been quite diplomatic and friendly in, in choosing a draw, uh, given the plethora of games he's got to choose from. I'm going to have to try and stick the needle in again here to, to defend the, the great Everton name. And my silver game could easily be my gold game, but it's, it's not, which you'll, you'll find out later. But I'm going for uh, Liverpool 1, Everton 2 in 1995. Andre Kanchelskis scores two and puts the Reds to bed at Anfield. Uh, it's the last but one win that we've had at Anfield. So the last one that we had was 99. The one before that was this in 95. So you're looking back on what now? 25 years, we've won twice at Anfield. Um, and this occasion was, for me, the culmination of two things, really. One, what it meant to win a Merseyside derby because I was only eight years old. And secondly, the crowning of my favourite player of all time in an Everton shirt in Andre Kanchelskis. And he was superb against the Reds that night. He was just electrifying as he was for that entire season. I don't know. You two, you two will have players yourselves who, you've, when you first saw them, when you when you're a young fan as a, as a football fan going to a game, you have those players who you look at and think he's not human. He's sort of somebody who I just can't get my head around that he's that good at playing football. And Kanchelskis for me, at that time, Everton was sort of having a little bit of a resurgence under Joe Royal. Obviously, we won the FA Cup the year before. Signing him was just it, it didn't make sense to me given the fact that he left Manchester United to come to Everton. As as nights go, uh, which we don't have many or even any at Anfield these days, this was particularly special for me because he's just my favourite player of all time in an Everton shirt. Neil, what was it like for you to be, watch Andre Kanchelskis do his thing that night? I mean, you know, plays for Everton and Manchester United. Um, there's, <laughs> they are the... Um, and there's something really strange about these, about a couple of these ones in that what was difficult to, to stomach at times in the mid-90s was you were able to say Liverpool were, were you know, the dogs of war thing and all of that sort of stuff. But actually, there were some games where, where Everton was just showing more quality. And I think the Kinchelskis, it's interesting there, Dave mentions the jinking little run from Limpard, and yes, it is a mistake from the goalkeeper. But it's probably the best moment of football in the game, you know, and, and, and that's worth worth bearing in mind and that's why you know at times it was a little bit frustrating I mean in general Kanchelskis's derby record is fascinating he gets a hat-trick for United against City uh one week as well so you know you get the impression this is part of part of what he does um uh, part of what, what what he comes alive for um so you know I think there's something definitely something sort of in Kanchelskis around this but 
you know, that, that was that was a good Everton side. It was a, again, it was a better side, a slightly better side than it was given credit for. And it was, it just wasn't quite, it just wasn't quite good enough from from Liverpool's point of view. And they were punished by Kincelski. So at that point, he's one of the most, you know, he's won the league with United. He's one of the most exciting players in English football. Limpar had really impressed for Arsenal as well. He was a real, real talent. Limpar and sort of in that way, a lot of nineties players are underrated or have been forgotten now because I think yeah. no one's quite sure what to do with the nineties. Everyone gets the seventies and the eighties, and everyone gets from two thousand onwards, but the nineties is a bit of a blur. For a number of players, everyone forgets Limpar's. You know, there were some games where Limpar had an unbelievable amount of quality. You know, we this is another one of those games where, if I remember rightly, and it's not a controversial thing to say in the period, you know, we only really had McManaman. So we always felt like we were we, we were lacking men, and uh, and this is one of those games. And, and and Everton had the more dynamic attack and talent in Kincelskis. Derbies always mean a lot to individual people for for specific reasons. And, and Dave, I quite like the fact that. You know, your favourite player of all time has his crowning moment in the Merseyside derby and it finds its yeah. place. But we're on to the ones that really matter here, the three points at stake. So, Dave, I'm actually going to go for you first on this. What okay. is your, what, what's pipped that 1995 Kuchelskis moment? Because it's going to have to be something, have to be something pretty good. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, our, our biggest derby victory in 35 years, 38 years it was. And it was uh, Everton 3, Liverpool 0, September 2006. Uh, Andy Johnson, who was uh, couldn't do anything wrong at that point, our new signing, our England forward, uh, putting Liverpool to the sword, along with um, the most horrendous area you'll ever see from Pepe Reina, who was a fantastic goalkeeper, admittedly over his time, throws the ball to Andy Johnson to get the 3-0 towards the end of the game. Uh, and Tim Cahill put us in front of the match um, just to go for a random order of the goals in which we scored in the game. But it was a blazing hot uh, late summer's day. Uh, it was an early kickoff, and uh, Everton actually could go top if they won this game for a few hours at least. Anyway, and it was peak David Moyes. It was he was two years, what no, four years into his tenure, was developing this sort of reputation of of having a really poor Merseyside derby record, which I'm not too sure lived out to be true in the end. Wink, wink. Um, he he was he was horrendous in derbies. He was really bad as, as a football manager in Merseyside derbies. And me and Neil over the years have had many discussions over why that might be. He, he was a manager who loved being the underdog, and this felt like one of those occasions where he could really thrive in that environment. Everton at home, Liverpool favourites for the game. Although if you look at the side Liverpool put out, and and I remember looking at that Liverpool side thinking we can really get at them here. We can we can put them to the sword because I think Fowler was up front as well, which. Again, I'm not sure what Neil's view is on this, but I always felt like his second coming at Liverpool was far more out of sentiment than Liverpool actually needed him there. And it felt to me like Everton needed to put on a show in a Merseyside derby because the, the David Moyes ride, in inverted commas, was just very much getting up and running. It'll be interesting if people listen to this, me talking about David Moyes in such euphoric terms. But at the time, <laughs> <laughs> he was that figure to all of us. Um and it was very much like this is the guy who can make things happen for us. I mean, if you look at the context of where we were, we'd finished sixth under him. It tended to go that we'd have a really poor season followed by a really good season under Moyes. Um, and the thing that was always crit- a, a big criticism of his was how poor we used to start seasons. Um, we, we used to have some really bad starts where we'd be down in the bottom half of the Premier League, people talking about relegation again because we didn't have much in terms of finances or a, or a big squad. But this team picked itself. And if you think about traditional 4-5-1, which I think 
Chelsea Mourinho brought to the Premier League in, in the sort of mid 2000s when they were winning titles after titles and it was very effective having Claude McAuley in that defensive midfield role. Everton very much tried to reflect that. We'd have Lee Carsley in there, um, possibly mixed in with a little bit of Thomas Gravison as well. And then everybody else could sort of just do what they liked, really. We had Leon Osman, I think he played on the right-hand side, had a really good game. Uh, we also had Tim Cale, obviously, as a talisman. Makes that second striker, should we need him. But for the first time in, in, in many years, we had somebody with genuine pace in Andy Johnson. And it felt to me, and I'd be keen to get Neil's view on this, that it was a different threat to post to Liverpool than we ever really had before that. Um, it was always a physical threat, as we've discussed in the other games so far on the show. But this felt to me like we had someone who was genuinely going to harry Liverpool's defenders from the first minute to the last. Somebody who's just going to chase lost causes, hunt balls down into the corner, maybe get a throw in instead of a, a goal kick. That type of player, and he was like that. He was a pest, Andy Johnson. And that's very much how he scores my favourite goal in the game, which is where he just robs Jamie Carragher and slots past Pepe Reina to put us 2-0 up at half-time. I've just, Dave, I've just seen a, a 606 quote uh, that's popped in on the match report to this game. I didn't know you called in the, the show that day. It says, if perhaps the rest of the Premiership will treat us with a bit of respect after this win. <laughs> Straight out of the day, Danny playbook, that one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This this would have been me when I was at my sort of most optimistic of times, being an <laughs> and expected trophies and, and Champions League places galore. Uh, sadly, that never comes to fruition. But yeah, I would have been saying that sort of thing because we did go top, uh, albeit for a few hours. And um, just, a, just a personal memory for me, uh, I was in a really quite a bad place, actually. I was in 19, I think, at the time. And um, I'd just done my ACL. I'd ruptured my ACL playing football two weeks before this. So I was on crutches and couldn't go to the game. Uh, so I had to watch it in a pub uh, in town. And all of my mates are Liverpool fans. You'll tend to find this, Rob. You get an Evertonian, most of the mates are Reds. Liverpool fans, most of the mates are Blues. I think I'm right in saying, obviously with Neil being the exception <laughs> running the business that he does. But um, <laughs> to me that day, it was sort of like such a massive risk reward because you're sitting around a load of Baying Liverpool fans who've been on the aisle all morning. Yeah, uh, and I remember, I remember throwing when when we scored the second goal. There was a chandelier in this pub that we might have been a Weatherspoons. There was a, there was a chandelier in the pub that we were in. I was about to say, nice pub by the signs of it. I then said Weatherspoons. <laughs> so then uh, I, I remember when we scored the second goal. I thought that's it. Now I was so nervous because we went one 0 up. I think Liverpool hit the post. Gerard misses a decent chance. But when we score the second, which is very much against the run of play, Andy Johnson nips in and, and slots a really good finish past Rainer. I threw my crutches up in the air and broke this chandelier. I remember the manager of the pub coming over to me saying, listen, mate, you're going to have to leave. And I have to just <laughs> leave with them saying, look, I can't walk here. I just, just please just let me, I'll sit here quietly now for the rest of the game. I've had my moment. Please just leave me alone. And uh, thankfully, let me sit there quietly until, uh, until Pepe Reina's mistake in the 90th minute. Allows me again to go absolutely berserk. I actually lost one of the crutches. The other crutch goes. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the other crutch had gone. Honestly, I was on one crutch at the end of the game. And uh, I just remember just sitting there getting absolutely destroyed. Um, whilst all the other all my Liverpool fan mates had gone. There was only about three of us left in the end. And I was like, listen, someone's got to stay and allow me to enjoy this. Because it doesn't happen often at all. <laughs> yeah, Neil, it, it is a bit of an outlier uh, in derbies of recent years, that one. Um, but you've got plenty to choose from for your goals. Which way have you gone? 
I'm going with the purest possible, the Merseyside derby that defines, I'd say, most of them for the last 20, 20 years since the 2000-2001 the one. Um, it is, it's got everything that a good Liverpool Merseyside derby victory needs. Um, it's got a bit of Everton uh, fancying themselves in the run-up to the derby on the way to Anfield. Uh, they have the best opportunities in the match until Liverpool score the late winner. Uh, Liverpool very quite fortunate at times in the first half to hang on in the game at home against Everton in 2018, um, in December 2018. Um, Liverpool are, do create the best opportunities in the match and they finish it a little bit stronger than people remember. Um, but it remains nil-nil. Gomez looks great in the middle of the park, but I'd say it's very much a flattering to deceive Andre Gomez's performance where he looks great, but there's not actually much end product from it. Um, the game shifts from Everton fancy and you can get something at Anfield to just stop in Liverpool uh, as Liverpool are trying to match Manchester City stride for stride. Um, it's got absolutely every defining quality of Merseyside derby victories from a Liverpool point of view. The shades of uh, the semi-final win with the late Carroll header uh, after Everton have gone 1-0 up, but it's something greater than that. And it's also got the catalyst thing. I think that if Liverpool don't beat Everton through a late Divock Origi header, to put themselves uh, 1-0 up against against Everton that season. They don't go match stride for stride with City through the rest of that campaign. And we're not, we're not where we are now uh, with reference to the league table, possibly, you know, because I think Liverpool have just continued that on from last season. And within all of it, the goal is unbelievably simultaneously fortuitous, but tremendously Evertonian um, in that it's dreadful from Pickford. It should be going nowhere. Van Dijk presumes as the ball loops up in the air, it's gone for a, it's gone for a for, for a goal kick, and that it's all over. And he's actually angry with himself. Van Dijk, he turns away. Uh, the ball drops. Um, Pickford has no idea where it is. Uh, Pickford himself, the keeper who rightly uh, gets a fair bit of criticism and is is mostly uh, able to be a figure of fun. Uh, the ball's dropping out of the sky while well, simultaneously, and this is important, being England's number one. Um, which is something that also gets put on the, the boards at Everton at times as well. It drops out of the sky. Pickford... I do not condone that before you start. Oh, I, know. I know you wouldn't. I don't know. I don't... It's one of those things, like the stuff that happens at Anfield, where I don't know anyone who does it or anyone who likes it, and yet it still happens. And the... yeah. I don't know an Everton, an Everton fan who's happy with that board showing England's number one after Pickford does a good save, and yet they're still doing it at Goodison, and I don't know why. You just need to all get a campaign together and write a letter. <laughs> he's actually let, if you rewind a little bit the fact that he's come, come off the back of the World Cup Pickford arguably never really has recovered from this no but I don't, I don't think he's ever, he was ever as good as his press I think in general I think he makes yeah. spectacular saves yeah. but he's never never been as good as his press and then he, he claws at this ball it hits the top of the crossbar it bounces off and from a yard away Divokari he does the best thing any human being has ever done um, I think that you can talk about the painting of the Sistine Chapel that's quite good uh, there's some symphonies written by Mozart. They were they're reasonable, but everything <laughs> everything dwarfs into insignificance in comparison to Divokarigi nodding at home against against Everton from a yard out in the 94th minute. It's it's got a flare thrown on the pitch at nil nil by the Everton end, which is also just absolutely tremendous because the flare is in the period of time between it. I mean, Van Dijk has the shot; it's terrible. The flare hits the pitch; it begins to plume smoke, and then Divokarigi nods it home. It's everything that it feels like. It's for me, it's like the series finale. Why are we going to? Why we continue playing Merseyside derbies beyond this? Is I don't know what we think can happen next. 
uh, to be quite honest with you. The only way in which anything can stop this is if a Liverpool player, you know, if Liverpool find themselves in a situation where they're 2-1 they're down at Goodison and a Liverpool player miscues a shot to such an extent it hits the underside of a spaceship during an alien invasion, goes into the back of the net, is given, is given, uh, and then Liverpool find a way to make it 3-2 before the end of human civilization. It is the only way we can ever top winning in a Merseyside derby. It cannot be done. It cannot be bettered. It is. It is. And 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 there's almost part of it where Dave. I know Dave, and I know a number of Evertonians will almost just want to agree with me. In that they'll be going. Yes, it is. It's, it's like the. It's like the end of something. It really is like the end of something. Like how did they? That you know you've got Mane at Goodison scoring a 94th minute winner where the ball bounces back off the post and he's there. He's there first by a mile to tap it in. Uh, there's, you know, there is the, the Andy Carroll header. There's Virgil Van Dyke when Everton come to Anfield and it's one all in the cup, and Van Dyke rises with two minutes to go and makes it two one in his first game for Gerard Liverpool, being Liverpool seventy five. There's the Gerard Hatcher. It's like it's like there's loads of ways in which Liverpool are trying to innovate, beating Everton. Uh, this season is the Curtis Jones one, but but the one the Curtis Jones one when Liverpool play a weak inside full of mostly kids. Everton play a first 11 and Liverpool grow into the game and then I'll play Everton in the second half and Curtis Jones scores a 25-yarder. It feels at times like Liverpool, it's like an art experiment in ways. Can Liverpool push Everton to even greater extremes of of, of, unbel- of, of, of it's, it's all like Tom and Jerry cartoon stuff where every single time, you know, Tom thinks he's about to win and ultimately Jerry just pulls it out the bag. And it's, I always say that the best way to beat Everton is not to be the best. Like, I play Man United and I want to play them off the park and really teach them a lesson. Against Everton, we tend to be, you know, the league table tends to, tends, not always, but tends to tell the story that we're better than them. And there's loads of reasons for that. And some of them are a harsh from an Everton point of view. But ultimately, the best ways to beat Everton are, are, the, are the ones that you get to find hysterically funny afterwards. And there'll never be anything better than Divock Origi's head. I just can't think how you do it. And as I say, from there, Liverpool have grown and grown. And, and I, I don't believe we would be certainly not 20, 25 points ahead as we speak right now in a Premier League table if it wasn't for Origi's header. Because I think that really kicks that side on through a tough December run. They live with Manchester City. And yes, they don't win the title last season, but they will win this one. Yeah. And and throw and throw a Champions League win in there as well with Divock Origi coming. I've also got an amazing mental image of Divock Origi with a, a comically huge hammer going after Tom, like Tom and Jerry here in this <laughs> um, Dave, it's I can't even really imagine crutches or no crutches your state of mind when this goal went in because I can I can remember being on on the radio with, and I think it was Danny Mills, although don't hold me to this and I don't want him to get his knickers in a twist, although he will probably find a way anyway. I think he was very annoyed uh, run onto the pitch. He was very, very annoyed about that. And he said it was out of, out of order and things like this. And I think I remember disagreeing with him because he was arguing that it wasn't a mistake and that Pickford's antics there behind the goal, it was just a fluke, crazy situation Dave, I'm guessing you would agree the fact that that was a massive howler from Jordan Pickford. Yeah, it was it was a disgusting piece of goalkeeping. I've got issues with Jordan Pickford that extend long back before that, Rob, and you talk about his England exploits. I actually think he doesn't really care too much about his club career. If you were to 
put a gun to his head, I'm pretty sure he'd say he preferred just to play for England and not to even bother playing for Everton at all. Uh, I don't think he has that much care for the situation, to be honest. That might be a little bit harsh, but the evidence would suggest otherwise, given his performances for us. That night, though, uh, I was in the Liverpool end. I was sat in the main stand uh, amongst all the Liverpool fans. Don't know how you do it, Dave. Don't know how you've done that. I, uh, I, no, I was going to say. I, well, it happened with the Van Dyke one, and it happened with this one, and it happened with the Curtis Jones one as well. I've done it three times, uh, and each each occasion's been a little bit worse. That by far the worst by a country mile, simply because I couldn't keep, I can't keep my mouth shut to the game of football. Um, and I ended up jovially making some friends there that night. Um, had Everton won the game, I'm pretty sure that would have been the opposite. But I was sat amongst Liverpool fans, and you're right, Neil, the, the, the flare thrown on the pitch, I mean, it wouldn't go that far. But at the time, I thought, this is the best show we've had at Anfield for quite some time. Um, yeah. And I felt we were, I mean, it was a draw, wasn't it? Let's be honest. It, it, aside from the, oh, yeah. it was a draw in every sense of the word, if you watch that game back. Um, but to see, to see him do that, and I'm still convinced every time I watch it now, he could leave it. I think he could leave it. Pickford, he doesn't need to do anything. I think it's hitting the top of the bar and going over into the cop. He could tip it over. There are several different things that he could do that don't result in Divock Origi scoring that goal and Jürgen Klopp running onto the pitch. And by the way, Rob, on that point, I, I have no problem with Klopp doing that. I probably would have done more. I probably would have stripped off and ran and jumped into the other end of the goal. So I, 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 I don't take any issue whatsoever in how that goal was celebrated. And, and Neil's absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I use this analogy quite a lot, but I always feel as if it's like being on the Truman Show. If anybody's seen that film, if you're an Evertonian, because it's just like somebody has stood there with a script writing down what they could uh, they could throw at a human being ever again in a Merseyside derby. It's like you, you do go there with this sort of Lauren, Lauren Hardy sketch that you think, what is the most slapstick thing that can happen in this game for Everton to lose it or to cock it up or to shoot themselves in the foot? And Neil's right, there's nothing left. After Curtis Jones and the Rugrats beat us this season, there is nothing left. There is no other way for Liverpool to beat us anymore. But yes, we still face the prospect of an empty stadium in the midst of a global pandemic for a Merseyside derby to come in the next few weeks. So I'm still not holding my breath. I was going to say, there's, there, there might just be one more way, Dave, but yeah. we'll, we'll wait and see. Probably time for the decision-making here then, in terms of the ultimate podium. So we'll start with the bronze. And you know what? I'm actually going to give this... Uh, Dave, I'm going to give this to you for the bronze because yes. and it's not because Dan Gosling has some special place in my heart because that's not, I can tell you that's not the case but I there, there is something about and you actually a 19 year old kid scoring the winner in a Merseyside derby it's obviously happened on the flip side quite recently but I I just like the fact that it sparked you to that run it was quite it happened in quite isolation and and granted the the two three from two thousand one was a hell of a game, but I'll get on to why I've got a certain preference for another choice in a moment. But yeah, I just feel and also again, hilariously with the ITV coverage that the goal would yeah. have been seen uh, for that ad break. I don't know why, but it is very funny. You're getting the bronze pick for this one. Uh, so one point uh, to Dave uh, for that one. When it comes to silver, again, this this is just kind of a little bit of a personal preference of mine. I love a really pure, brilliant game of football. And although the Konchalskis derby very much has a place uh, in Dave's 
Hart, for me, that that 3-3 is a phenomenal game. And a a period from an outsider purely looking in, I kind of wish that that brief period of both clubs competing at a really, really high level with ambitious managers and acting somewhat above their station, but also... And, and Dave mentioned that the phrase as well, kind of smashing through the glass ceiling as well and trying to see what's beyond. I yeah. love that game. Uh, I think it's a, a brilliant game. And although it didn't have the the carnage and the, the bite of 2001, that 3-3, despite it ending in a draw, is taking the silver. So at the moment, uh, Neil's leading it 2-1, which brings us to the gold choice uh, for the top of the podium. And I'm sorry. I, I, know, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it's, it's undeniable, and and you know what? I can't really argue with it. I think I think I did a better job of justifying Neil's selection than he actually. Did. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly why it's the right choice. It's exactly why it's the right choice. It, it, yeah. it, it tells more, much, if not more, of a story about Everton and Everton in the last twenty years coming to Anfield as it does anything else. Twenty yeah. years of coming to Anfield. Whether it's in a footballing sense, and I think Neil makes a brilliant point that you know I'm not sure you go toe to toe with City if it's not for that goal, and I'm and I'm also not sure the Champions League run and the Champions League final in particular, the way that game played out, and and the way you had to kind of keep your heads and do that. Yeah, it, it's taking it, and you know, Dave, although you you very much went on script and 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 played it by the book in terms of picking a big result 3-0 in 2006 you you, you know you, you would have been vilified to go elsewhere really that game is brilliantly bizarre and i think it has to take it has to take the podium which leaves us uh, neil you've ran out 5-1 winners in the Merseyside derby here. I don't think we've quite had that score in the Merseyside derby. That might be the next thing to come along right now. <laughs> it was 5-2 quite recently, wasn't it? 5-2 yeah. last season, yeah. This season, wasn't it, actually, yeah? This season, December. Yeah. I, I can't argue with that, um, simply simply because of the, the hysterics at the end of the game. I mean, that's never going to be forgotten. And, it, and and I don't think it'll ever be topped. I really don't. I actually thought Neil was, was again, like I said, quite diplomatic in going for the 3-3. When he, he could have easily thrown in that Curtis Jones one, because that again was much much more embarrassing in many ways from my perspective. Simply because we put out a full strength side, I've been desperate to kick on in the FA Cup, and it was a game that Liverpool actually wanted actively to lose, um, and and we still didn't manage to score a goal, let let alone uh, win the game. So yeah, I mean, fair play to Neil for choosing the three three. I feel like I played my part in that as well, Rob, personally, because. Uh, I think it took the two of us to tell the story of that day. So uh, it's not Absolutely. quite 5-1 in my head. I think there's a moral victory in there for me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely put, like a true Evertonian. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. We, we, don't, we, we don't win football. We, we just, we're just good at other things. <laughs> guys, thank you so much for joining me on this one. It's been, it's been really, really good fun. And, and yeah. whichever side you're coming at this, I think it, hopefully it would have been a good listen and, and a good opportunity just to... Head down memory lane a little bit. Remember what football was like before uh, this virus ruined everything. 
if you've enjoyed this podcast, uh, do head over to our, our channels on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, Sam, Callum, uh, my fellow regulars here on 3 Sports Rankers, we've got uh, two series worth for you to listen to, uh, plenty of different topics depending on what's your thing. Uh, Premier League frontmen, Sporting City. Oh, there's one for you both, actually, quickly before we go. Sporting Cities, you both had a good away day. What's your, what's your, tops, what's your top away day for a Sporting City? <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, I mean, that depends a lot of what you're looking for. So, like, for instance, when we do London games, we tend to go to Oxford, even though <laughs> it's just on the way there and on the way back. So I think it's a difficult one. Uh, I very much like uh, a Mancunian away, frankly. It's not that far. The pubs are good. Uh, and I, I, I like a northeast away as well. Yeah, I think I think they're two good ones. Uh, my personal favourite's Aston Villa. I love I love going to Aston Villa. Oh yeah, it's a great ground as well. I, I love I love the stadium. It reminds me a lot of Goodison. It's got a lot of traditional values, and and I think it's decent as well for a pint round there. I don't mind Aston Villa yeah. whatsoever. Um, you know, Birmingham doesn't necessarily get the best of names, does it? The second city and all that stuff. And I think there's a bit of je- there's a lot of jealousy that goes on there. But I, I'll pick it for this. I think Aston Villa's a great away day. I hope you stay up. Nice stuff. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned, plenty of topics in there for you to get stuck into. Iconic moments, sporting families, kits, loads of stuff. A little, little something for everybody. So to keep you up to date, we'll get all the best bits, take the polls, uh, rankings and stuff. It can all be found uh, on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Just search Three Sports Rankers and you can leave us a, a review. That really helps us out as well. I don't push it enough uh, as we always <laughs> do on these, uh, on these podcast platforms. But hey, it'll take two minutes and it'll, it'll help us grow and that'll be very much appreciated. Um, guys, thank you again. Uh, look after yourselves Anytime. at the moment. No problem at all, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening for this special Merseyside Derby episode of Three Sports Rankers. Uh, we'll be with you again very, very soon. Bye.